This is Hosea, Lesson 4B, Returning to Your First Love. On December 10th of this past year, 2016, we were plan- that was a Saturday, and Ken and I were going to go downtown Chicago to the symphony and hear the, um, It's a Wonderful Life played by the symphony while we watched the movie. I, I had never sat in box seats before. I had bought us box seats. I was so excited. And we're laying in bed, and we're talking on that Saturday morning, and we're talking about should we do the train or should we take the car, trying to make that decision with looking at the weather, the roads, all of that. And all of a sudden, I had the most terrible pain in my, like, this triangle, like right here between my breast. Like, so I, I got out of bed, and I, I was doing this. All, all I want, I just wanted to be straight, as straight as I could be, and I'm like, Kids like, what's wrong? It's like, it's okay. And so, you know, I get back in bed. He's like, what was that? I said, oh, my, my chest just really hurt. I said, I'm fine. So we go back to talking, and then I jump out of bed again. And I'm doing that, and now tears are I'm not, like, crying, but tears are coming down my eyes. And I'm like, uh, and he's like, Rhonda, I think we need to go to the hospital. I'm like, no, we're going to symphony. You know, I can barely talk. I'm like, no, we're going to symphony. He's like, I really think we should go to the hospital. So we did, and I get to Del North, and lo and behold, in like one second, there, there's people in the waiting room, in the emergency room, but in like one second, I'm laying on a table with tape and blood taken and IV in and monitors on my finger. Like within seconds, there was like, she said some code when I walked up to the counter, and two men came out, no waiting. Why? Because if my heart stops, that's, from a physical perspective, that's the worst thing that can happen in the medical field. Now, from a a spiritual perspective, that's the best thing. I see Jesus, right? But they're like, whoa, not on my watch, you know? So I end up, that was our December 10th. Proverbs 4. 23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. In Hosea, in our study guide on page 82, Jennifer says, she tells us to guard our heart, she tells us the way to do it is Colossians 3, 2, set our minds on things above. Well, this immediately brings questions to my mind. How do I know if I'm guarding my heart? How do I know if my mind is set on things above? And always, is this even possible? To walk around here on the earth with my mind always set on things above. What does a guarded heart look like? And I was thinking like this, like Jesus saves me so I'm good. Or is it like more serious? No, like really guard your heart. On day four of this week's lesson that y'all are going to be talking about, it's called What You Don't Know Can Hurt You. And she tells us that we are to acknowledge God Her quote is, God wants you to know him, not just know about him, but know him. He draws you to himself with cords of a man, bands of love. Again, questions come to me. How do I know if my heart really knows God? How do I know if I have a discerning heart? Which is what she's telling us to have. Then on day five, again, you'll be talking about this. Don't give away your heart. Her quote, anything that impairs our ability to think clearly or to recognize our personal dignity and value to God will take away our hearts. Another question comes to my mind. How do I know if I've given away my heart? Now, last month, February, what was last month? 
Valentine's Day. That was a day. What was last month? Anybody know? We have several nurses in here. The American Heart Association month. Yes. So that was last month. And what we're going to do tonight, because do you know, believe it or not, if your spiritual heart, the potential for spiritual heart damage is much more devastating, is much more destructive, is much more disastrous, is more dangerous. You can throw a lot of D's in there. It's really fun. It can even be damning our spiritual heart. So what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to use the American Heart Association, their work, but we're going to tie it into our spiritual hearts. Okay? So let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this evening, for these dear ladies who have come after full days. Thank you for the gift of your word and the gift of your spirit, who is our teacher. We open our minds and hearts and all that we are to you right now. Teach us what you want us to know. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. All right, let me ask you a question. Who in the Bible is known as the man after God's own heart? Who? David. David. Who gave him that name, by the way? What? God. God did. Now we see this two different places. Let's look at the Acts passage in the New Testament. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So what does this healthy heart look like? I want us to look at David's heart to figure out how, I mean, if God calls him a man after God's own heart, I would love to be called a woman after God's own heart. There's got to be a healthiness to his heart. So we're going to use him as our basis as we talk through what a healthy heart looks like. A healthy heart is a heart of faith in God. Now, most of you probably know the story of David, but he was one of eight sons. And the three elder sons, the three oldest ones, were enlisted in the Israelite army. And they were pitted against the Philistines. And David was the youngest and had two jobs. He was shepherd boy for his dad, but his dad also sent him to check on the brothers. And then David would come back, and he'd be sent again. David would come back on one of these trips to check on the brothers. David shows up, and he sees this nine-foot-tall giant of a Philistine taunting the Israelite army. He has been doing this for 40 days and nights. So for 80 times, once in the morning and once in the evening, the Philistines would send him out there and then taunt the Israelites. Well, David is like, what's happening? And everybody tells him what's going on, that if, you know, if the Israelites will send one person who will fight him, then that will be the battle, you know, conquers all. And David's like, I'll do it. And his brothers are, bad idea. You are not doing it. Well, Saul gets wind of this, and Saul's like, yeah, we finally got somebody who's willing to go out there. Maybe you should take my armor. And David's, mm, I don't think so. I'll just take my sling and these five stones. And so that you can read. That's really in the Bible. You can read that story, 1 Samuel 17, if you want. Now, look at this verse. So here goes that. That's the background. Here goes this little guy up against the nine-foot giant. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. 
What allowed David to not just agree to fight Goliath, not just to show up, but to quickly run out to meet him? He had faith in God. He had faith with feet on it. By the way, David did win the battle. Um, the Philistine giant was killed. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 16, verse 8. It's on your handout there. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken. For he is right beside me. Would you have lived any moment of today differently if you thought the Lord was right beside you? What a beautiful picture. Right beside me. In the New Testament, 1 Peter 1, Through Christ you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God, because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. So what now what are on your handouts there? Some questions, and feel free to use those in your groups tonight, since there's only two days to discuss. Um, how does faith grow or get stronger? How has my faith grown? And what specifically caused it to grow or get stronger? I'm guessing if you shared that around your tables, it wouldn't be the happy times that people would bring up. All right, the healthy heart is focused on God. Again, from David's life, if David would have been focused on his surroundings, on his enemy, on the big giant, on the huge Philistine army, on his family, on the support that his brothers gave him, not, they did not give him any support, David never would have approached the battle, much less have been a part of the victory over Goliath and the Philistines. The healthy heart is focused on God. If you go back and read just that one chapter, 1 Samuel 17, you'll see what David focused on. God himself, God's power, God's honor, God's name, and God's pending victory. That's all in that chapter. That's what David was looking at. So what now what on your handout? Keeping God at the center or focus is not always easy and seldom natural in this world. What helps me focus on God and not circumstances, other people, or problems? Again, another one to share around your table because we can learn from one another. The healthy heart is a heart that follows God. Now I want to make a real distinction here because there is a difference often in following God and following God's plan. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Think of Sarah and Abraham. What were they told? The plan is you're going to have lots of descendants. And Sarah's following the plan, and what does she do? She gives Abraham another woman to sleep with, and sure enough, they do produce a son, but that wasn't God's plan. Do you understand the difference? Now, eventually, they, the two of them did have Isaac. Okay, from David's life, not killing Saul, even when David had the opportunity. David had already been told you're going to be king. And then there are multiple times that Saul was like given into his hands and David did not kill him. We'll look at one of those scriptures, 1 Samuel 26. So David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around him. Can you picture it? So here he is, sleeping right there, all the soldiers around. God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time, Abishai whispered to David. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike twice. Can you hear the eagerness and this is it. We can finally kill him and you can be king. What does David say? No, David said. Don't kill him, for who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday, or he will die of old age or in battle. 
The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. Do you see the difference between following God and following God's plan? Man, you need to follow God. God, period. Now, do we have planners in here? I am one. Not everyone is one. I am one. And I will tell you, I don't have time to tell the full story, but I'll tell you the beginning and the end and show you. It's important to follow God. So my plan from when I was early in high school, really more like late junior high, was to be CEO of a bank one day, retire early around the age of 50, and teach college for about 10 years, and then retire around 60. And that was what I felt was God's plan for me. And so I started pursuing it. I almost missed God's plan. I almost missed Catherine. Which, for those of you who don't know Catherine, you're lost. You'll meet her in heaven. My heart, she overflows my heart with love. I just, I can't say it any better than that. I love her to death. Texted with her like three times a day. She asked me to pray for some of her friends. They're having a really hard time. That's Catherine's heart. And I would have missed it. I almost missed it. Because I was following the plan. Now, lo and behold, I did get to teach college for actually more than 10 years. So do you see how the plan happened? But the middle looked different. I'll tell you one, uh, I'll tell you one other story. I took out five slides, so I think we can do this. Because sometimes, you know, you hear one example and you go, well, that's not me. So one of our daughters, Rebecca, is also a planner. And she came home from a mission trip. We, we always knew we were going to lose Rebecca. You know, you can just tell that kind of when they're little. She's very independent. Uh, when she went to school, she, um, she's fluent in Spanish. And we just always thought, as she did she, that she would go to a third world country and use her Spanish one day. And she came home from um, Czech Republic one year after going on a mission trip there. And I was standing in the kitchen. I'll never forget it. And she said, Mom, what if it's Czech Republic? I said, what if it is? And she said, it is. So I want to be a missionary, but not like one that people pay for. I want to, you know, like Paul, he made tents. I'm like, yeah, I think I've heard that story. <laughs> like, yeah. And she said, so what I want to do is I'll teach two years here in America, save my money, and then I'm going over to check, and I can get a teaching job there, and I'll serve the church, which is very common to what, how European churches work. The church, just to give you an idea, that uh, First Baptist partners with in Viso Camito in Czech Republic, they have three paid people. That's it. Two men, and they split a salary and a woman. That's it. Everybody else has a job and serves the church. So this is very common. So she's like, I'll do music for them, which is what she had been doing on the mission trips. And she said, or oh, maybe I can even do children's ministry for them. I'm like, okay. Well, that's, that's that then. Actually, I didn't just say, okay, I said, that's, that's a good plan. Just remember to let God change it however he wants, but good plan. So that's what she started down that track. Lo and behold, she did teach here for two years at Wheaton Christian Grammar School for two years, and then she went over to Czech. And she's teaching in an international school there, kindergarten, and she's serving the church, doing music for them. The end is exactly what God gave her as the plan. But not really exactly, and the middle looks way different. Because in the course of that time, after God turned her heart to Czech, two years later, Becca met a man from Czech Republic, a Christian, 
who has the same desire. He wants to be a judge and serve the church. He's on the preaching rotation in that church. They just got married in August. So we didn't just send Becca over to check as this little Caucasian American white girl who, who weighs 100 pounds on a good wet day. <laughs> She's over there with Radin, who loves the Lord from there. So do you see the difference? But you don't get so caught up on the plan that you think God has showed you that you miss along in the middle. Make sense? Okay, so let's look at um, in uh, David's life. Um, well, the so what, now what? Those are on your handouts there. How is following God versus following God's plan helped me to wait on him? Which that's what we develop. When we learn to follow God as opposed to just following God's plan, and taking it upon ourselves to make sure his plan happens, because man, he needs me to do that, right? No, right? What is an example from my life that I have experienced or possibly someone's experiencing it right now? The healthy heart is forgiven by God. Forgiven by God. From David's life, it's really important to understand that the healthy heart is not a perfect heart. That's not a healthy heart. That is a big relief to me. To go, I, you know, the, the man after God's own heart was far from perfect. You know the story of Bathsheba? That went in a nutshell really quickly. Bathsheba, David should have been off to war with his men, but he wasn't. He was on top of his roof. He looks over and there's beautiful Bathsheba and she's taken aback. And David's the king, and he's like, I want her. They go get her. She comes to him. She sleeps with him. She gets pregnant. David's like, oh, shoot. Her husband's at war. So I know. I'll call him in from war, and then he'll sleep with her, and then everybody will think it's their baby, and we'll all be good. So he does. He calls the husband in from war. Two nights he tries to get him to sleep with his beautiful wife, and he is so devout so committed to the army and to the king that he won't sleep with his wife. Now David's going, now what am I going to do? I know I'll just have to kill him. So he gives him a note, his own death sentence, and says, you know, go back, go back. You know, thank you, soldier. And he goes back carrying his own death sentence. He doesn't even know it. He gives it to his superior, and it says, put him on the front lines, which means he's going to be killed. And lo and behold, that's what the guy does. Goes on the front line, he's dead. Now... David does end up taking Bathsheba as his wife. So is this a perfect man? And by the way, that's all true. That's in scripture. You can read it. I kind of cut out a few things, but that's really in there. You can read it. 2 Samuel 11. Look at Romans 4. Romans 4 quotes David, okay? David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. This is what David said. This is actually a quote from Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. So not a perfect heart, but definitely a forgiven heart. The healthy heart is free to live in God's spirit. Look at Romans 7, 6. It says it so beautifully. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. And then in Romans 8, 
So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. The healthy heart is in fellowship with God. The healthy heart is intertwined with God's heart forever. Again, we see this in David's life in, in so many of the Psalms. Psalm 1611 is on your handout there. Let's go to the New Testament in Romans 5, 9 through 11. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Think about that. On the way home tonight, you should say out loud in your car, I am a friend of God. That's amazing. Um, Romans 8, the end of, I, I want this read at my funeral. I figure if I tell enough people, somebody's going to remember and do this. I want Romans 8 read at my funeral. We won't read the whole thing, just the last verse. No power in the sky, above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, so the A-plus heart gets all Fs. Did you notice that? Every word you wrote down should have started with an F. It's really fun when I can write things that work that way. It was really fun for me. Well, what if, just let's just say, what if right now my heart stops and I have, I have a heart attack right here, right now? What would you do? Grab the AED and just bash the heck out of your chest. Okay, thank you. We have, a we have a nurse here. <laughs> What else would you do? What did you say, Mary Kay? Thank you. Okay, thank you. So, wow, this is, y'all are a smaller group than Tuesday, but I feel like I'm going to live with you guys. Okay, yeah, what, would somebody pray for me, please? That would be a good idea. Maybe that table could handle the prayer back there. Maybe somebody might call 911. Yeah? Okay, good. You'll take that for me back there. That back there. You're sitting all by yourself. Get on your cell phone. Call 911. What should I do? Assuming I have some consciousness to me. Pray. I should pray. What else should I do? Stay still. Stay still and put my feet up. And if anybody's got an aspirin, that'd be really good for me to chew. Okay? Now, what would happen next? Woo, woo! You know, the ambulance would come. I'd be over at Del Nor. And then a specialist would come in and see me, right? Okay, before my heart attack ever happened, likely there are symptoms and warning signs, and that's what I want us to look at. What does an unhealthy heart look like? And to do that, we are going to use the American Heart Association's information, okay? So this is straight all their words. If you think you're having a heart attack, call 911 or your emergency medical system immediately. Some heart attacks are sudden and intense, the movie heart attack where no one doubts what's happening, but most heart attacks start slowly with mild pain or discomfort. Often people affected aren't sure what's wrong and wait too long before getting help. Here are signs that can mean a heart attack is happening. Chest discomfort, discomfort in other areas of the upper body, shortness of breath, other signs. These may include breaking out in a cold sweat, nausea, or light heart-headedness. 
As with men, women's most common heart attack system is, symptom is chest pain or discomfort, but women are somewhat more likely than men to experience some of the other common symptoms, particularly shortness of breath, nausea, vomiting, and back or jaw pain. And then it tells you, if you're with somebody, call 911 right away, get them to the hospital. How do I know if a heart attack has occurred? A doctor who studied the results of several tests must diagnose a heart attack. The doctor will review the medical history, do a physical examination, an EKG, a blood test, and then at the very bottom of that it says these tests are sometimes called heart damage markers or cardiac enzymes. So that's what we're going to look at now. What are some heart damage markers, some signs of an unhealthy heart using the AMA? That chest discomfort, I want you to think about that as if it were the conscious. In uh, 2 Samuel, again from David's life. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. And this one is not up here, so I'm just, it's on your power, it's on your um, handout there, the 1 Samuel 24 passage. And in that, David, it says David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. We will read 2 Samuel 24, also on your handout. But after he had taken the census, David's conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly by taking the census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. Acts, again on your handout, says always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. 1 Peter 2 and 1 Peter 3 both encourage us to keep a clear conscience. The so what, now what on your handout you can read those. I want to point out two cautions. Notice that last question, when was the last time I listened to quote my conscience? Caution. If you're having to go back too far to answer that, that's also a warning sign. Secondly, caution. Notice in the first part of the question, what has a tendency to harden the conscience? Your conscience can be hardened. What we're really saying here is listen to the Holy Spirit who a lot of times speaks through our conscience, right? Okay, discomfort, other areas of the body, and symptoms. Here, I want us to think about uh, the way that our unhealthy heart affects our mind, emotions, and even our physical body. This again is spoken of in the Psalms by David, of how his spiritual heart deterioration affected him physically. Philippians 4, 6 through 8 on your handout, that talks about us as the my body, what happens with my body. And then the other scripture on there, 1 Corinthians 12, talks about the body, as in the body of Christ, as in you and me together here, sisters in Christ. So let's read that one, 1 Corinthians 12. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. And the so what, now what are there on your handout. Shortness of breath is the next one. Shortness of breath. Now, how many in here have ever experienced shortness of breath? Like where you really cannot catch your breath? Yeah, it's very scary. Why my children cannot move into the first floor of a dorm, I don't know. But Taylor, one year, he was on the fifth floor. Catherine's on the ninth right now. I should not say that because Becca was on the first floor every year. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for Becca. She's our only one. Taylor was on the fifth floor. I was recovering from um, pneumonia, and we were moving him in. And I got to the top of the fifth floor, and I literally, 
I, I could not breathe. It is the most panic feeling. I, I, I like stood there. I needed help, a lot of help. Ken came immediately and took me by the shoulders and said, breathe. And I tried to match his breath. I tried as hard as I could to make, while Catherine, again, thank you, Lord Jesus, probably why I'm standing here today, got the inhaler that the doctor had given me and gave me, you know, a couple of, what do you call those, puffs? Yeah, yeah a couple of puffs to give me. It's terrible. When you cannot get breath, that is terrible. That is the most net. Look at this. We're all sitting here breathing right now. Not a one of us is thinking. Breathe in, breathe out. Nobody's thinking that. You're just breathing. It's the most natural thing that we do as humans is breathe. So I was trying to think, well, what's the most natural thing that we should be doing as Christ followers? Or flip it, what's the most unnatural thing for a non-Christ follower to do? And I thought of worship and service. I thought of the two greatest commands, love God and love others. Loving God is worship. It's like taking it in. And then we exhale and we serve others. We love others. All right. On the, a couple of quotes here. Worship is not an optional extra for the Christian. A self-indulgent religious activity. It is the basic Christian stance. And indeed, as Christians claim, the truly human stance. That's from N.T. Wright. And then A.W. Tozer says, God wants to cultivate within us the adoration and admiration of which he is worthy. He wants us to be astonished at the inconceivable elevation and magnitude and splendor of Almighty God. Did anybody just think of Princess Bride when I said inconceivable? It's ruined that word for me, but still the thought is beautiful. At, on the need to worship. This is from John Ortberg. Listen to this. I need to worship. I need to worship because without it, I can forget that I have a big God beside me and live in fear. I need to worship because without it, I can forget his calling and begin to live in a spirit of self-preoccupation. I need to worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude and plod through life with blinders on. I need to worship because my natural tendency is towards self-reliance and stubborn independence. From Scripture, First Chronicles says, give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering. Ah, giving is part of worship. And come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Then you have some other scriptures there on your handout you can read later. When my spiritual heart is unhealthy, I cannot do the most basic, the most simplest of things, worship and service. I can't do it. So that's a real red flag for my heart when I can't do those things. 1 John 4 talks about, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Go to that last verse in verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Other signs may include breaking out in a cold sweat, nausea, or lightheartedness. And as for the other signs, review those F's. Any of those can be a marker for you. If you're on the edge of one, um, that is a, a sign of an unhealthy heart. Back to the AMA's advice. Remember they told us, get to a hospital right away. The spiritual lesson for us here, we need the specialist, the heart specialist. And we've got him. We have got him. 1 John 1 
So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we've no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Well, how do I know if a heart attack has occurred? Again, the specialist will tell me. Look at Psalm 26.2. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Psalm 139 tells us he already has examined our heart. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Three heart applications here. The first is live heart healthy. It is a way of living. Just like if you went in and had heart problems, your lifestyle would probably change. The doctor would tell you to do some things differently. It is a way of living, the decisions, the daily choices that I make. You know, I, this makes me think of spiritual disciplines. What are some of the spiritual disciplines? Do you know what I mean by that phrase? Like prayer. That's a daily choice I can make. Reading God's word. Time with God. Giving. Worship. All of these. Monitor your heart. So live heart healthy is the first one. Monitor your heart is the second one. Be, be attentive. Pay attention. Deal with sin. You know that get to the hospital right away? Deal with it. Don't deny it. I want to give you just a quick acronym. CRY. This helps me understand. God gave it to me years ago, and it helps me understand that confession is not just saying, oops, I'm sorry I sinned. It is cry. So the C stands for to confess, to call it sin. Call sin, sin. You know, it's not a mistake. It's not an error in judgment. It's not, not politically correct. It is sin. And then the R stands for repent. Because I don't just say, oops, sorry, God, I, I sinned. I repent from it, which means turn away, walk a different way. If I was walking this way, I don't want to walk that way anymore. And if you don't have the why, which is yield to the power of the Holy Spirit living within you, then you're going to be back on this path pretty quickly, chances are. Does that make sense? So think of confession bigger than just saying, oh, God, I'm sorry I, I sinned. All right, the last heart application Follow the heart specialist advice, and I cannot say enough the importance of God's word here. He can give us advice however he wants to, but we know we've given it, we, he's given it to us in his word, which is what you ladies are doing tonight, studying his word. Take time to meditate on it, to memorize it, to hide it in your heart. Well, what do I know of God's heart? I knew there would not be time tonight to go through this, so I, I did choose to leave them all on your handout for you. And I encourage you to just take one a day and look at God's heart. We could never see his whole heart, but each one of those scriptures give you an idea of what God's heart looks like. If we want to be a woman after God's own heart, I want to know how his heart looks. We'll look at only one together. The first one on the list is 1 John. It says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. There is um, something known in marketing as taglines. 
And the American Heart Association has two. One is learn and live. Have you ever heard the saying live and learn? So they just did a twist on it and they say learn and live. And their other tagline is life is why. And I thought, ah, they're onto something. Listen to Psalm 16. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Father, we thank you so much for your love for each one of us here. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for caring so much about ours. Show us how to be, how to think, how to do, how to be women after your heart. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. On, on your tables, Karen, are these on there? Okay, these are bookmarks. I just had them made up with the notes from tonight so you can stick them in your Bible and at all times have a healthy heart check. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank <laughs> you.